Welcome to the Law School Life and Beyond Leadership Series podcast. I am your host, Joey Galinsky. Before going to law school, it is hard to know what being a law student actually entails. It can be quite daunting to navigate the law school journey alone. That is why we founded Law School Life and Beyond. We hope to be your best friend in law school you never knew you had. So each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to share their law school journey and provide you with tips and tricks to not only survive, but thrive in law school. This week, I'm joined by Daniel Steinberg. Daniel is the co-founder of Law Broker, a platform that matches clients with the right lawyers in a timely manner. Law Broker offers an easy-to-use interface, allowing clients to seamlessly connect with recommended lawyers and helps close the access to justice gap. I am really excited to have Daniel on the podcast this week to share a little bit more about the Law Broker platform and how it can help both clients and lawyers by making access to legal services more user-friendly. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Joey. Really excited to be here. It's awesome. So you're going to actually be our first guest that's neither a law student nor a lawyer, but you have a very interesting background that I think will provide our listeners with a different twist on what the legal industry is going to look like moving forward. And for law students, how they can look at the practice of law in a different perspective. And so we're really excited to get some of your experiences out here and maybe some tips and tricks and advice for our future law students and future lawyers and legal professionals that are coming into the field. So with that little intro for you, I would love if you could give our listeners a little background on your educational journey and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's an interesting journey. And this is the second podcast in a row as of yesterday that I've recorded that I'm the first non-lawyer um, on the podcast. So I'm going to like hone in on whatever we want to call that moving forward. And I'm just going to hop around to different legal podcasts and, and use that to my advantage. Um, but yeah, no, Joey, thanks again for having me. Uh, it's great to be on this podcast and share a little bit about my story with the audience uh, from a little bit of a different perspective than what you're used to. So yeah, my journey's interesting one uh, to the entrepreneurial world. So I actually have a background in accounting. I studied accounting at Western University um, and was supposed to be an accountant at EY. And I had actually decided to quit before I started. The goal for me was how do I always become an entrepreneur? And the way that I you know, progressed my career was always very prescriptive in my approach and the different roles that I took on. And one of those roles that I wanted to or thought was a good thing to have in my back pocket was working from an accounting perspective to learn the nuances of operations through C-level executives by understanding how they run their practices. I was working at private practice at the time. Um, But for something that was really important for me and something that hopefully resonates with your audience is you really got to be passionate and love what you do in order to really succeed. And I wasn't all in when it came to accounting. I was more doing it as a means to an end. So I actually decided to quit before I got started and I landed in tech sales. Um, I thought that going into sales was a really great opportunity to learn how to sell myself, sell a business, have conversations like we are today, and really just navigate the world of, you know, conversational selling um, as a first baseline for becoming an entrepreneur. And it was the best experience I could have done. It was the best and right 
move that I had ever done for myself. Uh, I ended up selling enterprise marketing advocacy software for two plus years. And those are two massive buzzwords. If you don't know what advocacy marketing was, don't worry, neither did anyone else five years ago. Um, it's still complicated to figure out uh, actually and encapsulate what exactly it was. But I was essentially selling 60 to $100,000 off the shelf software of reviews, referrals, online community, and everything in between around how to make your customers love you and ultimately sell your product by, uh, through them versus the business themselves. And it was quite interesting, but um, you know, back in the day, it was something that we had to educate our, our businesses on. And it really gave you a good sense of how to navigate internal organizations so that you can really sell, sell the product. So that was a really good baseline for me. Um, but for me, it was, again, a, a means to an end, great baseline. But I really wanted to understand and use a strategic mindset of partnerships and understand organizationally how you work cross-departmentally with different types of stakeholders within a business and work with external third parties and so forth. And that took me over to Clio. So that's where this, you know, this intersection happens. This is why I'm here, everyone. I'm not a fraud. Uh, I was at Clio. I understand the legal landscape from a different lens than all of you, but um, my world collided when I ran partnerships over at Clio for two plus years. So I ended up working with um, consulting partners on operationalizing different law firms dependent on their size and installing technologies and making them more efficient. And I made them more efficient through different app partners that would integrate into their uh, practices to make them operationally better, whether they're size of firm, practice area specific, and so forth. And because of that, my world collided into Clio's app ecosystem, and I started managing Clio's consulting partners and app partners as a whole, which took me down a path of building out a relationship with Google on digitizing a law firm storefront. And that's where my worlds collided to become an entrepreneur. So I took my experience from Influitive on advocacy marketing and the relationship that I had built with Google on how to put someone, specifically a law firm, onto Google to be present for people to find them and really merge that into the, you know, the 21st century and the way that people shop in different industries for different types of activities like Uber, DoorDash, Shopify e-commerce stores and so forth and bridge that gap within the legal sector by creating LawBroker, which is for all intents and purposes, a legal marketplace that simplifies the experience for consumers to interact with lawyers through a more programmatic and technology first approach by building out a recommendation and matching engine uh, to help get consumers uh, readily available with lawyers on, on demand. That's incredible. And it was such a captivating story. I had so many little questions that kind of popped up in my mind while we went through that, that I think will really help some of our listeners with tougher decisions that they face in their life. And so just to backtrack for a second, you said that you kind of went down the accounting path, but then dodged that or chose to go down a different pathway. I feel that there are a lot of students who might be going down the path that they're not comfortable with or that it's really not meant for them. How did you know that it was your time to kind of divert your attention and go a different way? And was that a hard thing socially for you to do? Or were you confident in yourself and you knew that it was right for you? Yeah, it was um, one of the questions that the podcast yesterday asked me was, what was sort of like the hardest decision you ever made in your career? And quitting a big four accounting firm before you've even started was socially the most insane thing that anyone could ever do. Great job, great background, great career choice. 
um, you know, solidified income, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur and take being an entrepreneur means taking risks. And for me, it's not the same for everyone. Accounting would have been a fantastic background, a fantastic place to start and bridge my career, but I wouldn't be where I was today if I didn't take the risk and jump through that hoop to be able to get to where I needed to be to become the entrepreneur that I wanted to be is really what it comes down to. So there's no right approach. There's no right answer. Um, this is not me sitting here and saying everyone should quit law. Everyone should quit you know, accounting or anything like that. Um, I am a big believer in do what you're passionate about and that and success will come from there. But that doesn't mean that that's for everyone. Not everyone can afford to take the risk. Not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and has to practice taking risks and try different things to make, you know, their careers happen. So socially, yeah, it was, it was a crazy experiment. I think at the time, um, it was something that everyone looked at me and said, why are you doing this? And, and why are you running away from such a good job? Um, it got me to a point in my career where I was lost. I was lost for a specific point in time and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then everyone looks at you and they're like sales, like you have a business background and a degree from Western, like why are you going to sales? And um, I am the number one believer after going to enterprise tech sales that sales has to be one of the most important career decisions I've ever made in my life. And I think everyone should go through it at one point, whether that's for a year or two as a baseline for success and building yourself as an individual professionally and personally. I think everything you do is selling. Everything you do is conversational selling um, and humanizing the sale is so important. And uh, sales is not a used car salesman sale that people think of when they think of sales. So um, I, I think you know it was one of the best career choices for me, but I can't make a career choice for everyone. And I think it's equally applicable like you did to law there. It's you can go down the path less traveled. You don't have to follow what they've laid out for you when you're in law school. You have so many different options when you have a law degree or when you have different types of degrees that you can expand your pie and try and take a different route if you want to take that risk. Uh, and then going back just to your Clio days as well, you discussed seeing it from a different lens or a different perspective. What were some of the common themes or common patterns you saw when you were working at Clio? in regards to the legal profession? Yeah, I think um, coming at the Clio lens from a very different perspective and not actively being on the sales team and working every single day with lawyers and understanding the nuances of their practices, um, I came at it from a different type of perspective, which was how do I help support these law firms grow and build their practices from a completely different angle, an angle from someone that comes from a sales, marketing, and partnerships background. And I think what's so interesting in law is all of you listening to this podcast, most of you are in law school, have graduated law school, are articling, or are potentially you know, on your way to becoming a partner or a law firm associate. And that's fantastic. You've all gone through a very similar path. And something that resonates with probably each and every one of you is you go to law school to to you know, practice law, but you don't go to law school to become a business person. And what's so interesting about that is there's 1.4 million lawyers in US and Canada 
that are solo and small practitioners. And if we're not actively being taught how to run a business, it's very hard to activate and run a practice based off the knowledge set of practicing law. So I came at it from a completely different angle to try and support those law firms on different mechanisms and tools that optimally helped them run their practice and made them more efficient to actually grow their practices, whether that's actually diversifying their marketing spend to be found on the internet, whether it's adopting a virtual receptionist so they can actually take on their client work and answer client calls and get back to those clients, which is something that um, you know the legal space is still getting used to, or adopting different technologies that quite frankly just made them more efficient as a business owner. Um, and that was the perspective that I took when I worked at Clio coming from a very different background than a lot of the lawyers and consulting partners that I had worked with. And that's a great kind of transition into our next little phase that I wanted to discuss is that you've recently launched Law Broker. I think we're about eight, nine months out now since I've seen it on uh, LinkedIn and all over my social media pages. Can you kind of give us the background of how the idea came to you and what like practical steps you then took in order to go from the idea into an actual site that people can use now? Yeah, it was a pretty long journey. Um, like I said at the beginning of this call, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was more a matter of when um, and finding that gap and nuance that made sense to activate and, and go from there accordingly. Um, the idea really stemmed from the work that I had done with Google uh, around Google My Business and activating law firms on the internet. I think the stat was like 50% of law firms at that point or something like that that we were working with didn't have a presence on Google. So our job was how do we make it a little bit easier through something that's a free tool like Google My Business. So you type in law firm near me and you know Daniel Steinberg's law firm shows up. How do we help activate those accounts a lot faster so that you could be found on the internet? And during that time, although we were helping uh, law firms become present on the internet, what we weren't necessarily doing was helping them actively be found. And it wasn't that we didn't want to help them be found. It's that, um, as a lot of you have read and understand the legal industry, is it's bred such a competitive cost per acquisition from a consumer perspective that it's very hard for law firms to stand out. I've already shared how many law firms exist from a solo and small perspective. We'll take that into consideration when you're trying to outspend mid-sized firms or larger firms when it comes to Google AdWords or even optimizing on search engine optimization. It is very hard for law firms to actively be found even if they have a presence on Google. And quite frankly, they're just not enhanced by Google's algorithm. So because of that problem space, I started looking into the marketplace problem and you've got great solutions like Avos and LegalZooms of the world um, that have had great exits uh, privately and publicly. Um, and what they've done very well is they've verticalized Google essentially and they've created a Yelp for lawyers that provide um, review systems and opportunities to connect with lawyers through a specific way in a specific type of traditional marketplace but what I found it didn't solve for was the way that people shop for things in 2022. And what I also thought that it didn't necessarily solve for was the analysis paralysis and confusion of how a consumer thinks when shopping for a lawyer. Legal is not a commoditized good. You do it one to three times in your life. And if you think about that, 
looking after a review to determine which lawyer is right for you, let alone which lawyer may or may not be available at that moment in time, is very hard to dissect, especially because every legal matter is very different. So what we wanted to do was say, how do we take a technology-first approach, take these traditional forms uh, and methods of consumers connecting with lawyers, and take this technology that bridges similarities to Uber, DoorDash, Shopify e-commerce stores, and a bunch of other tool sets that people shop through very often in an on-demand way, leverage that in a more transactional type of legal work because I'm not discounting the fact that legal is very referral-based and you need to understand who your lawyer is and why, but in the, in the transactional legal world, like closing on a house or a simplified will or a review of an employment contract, these types of engagements are very hard for consumers to get a hold of lawyers for, let alone try and figure out who they're supposed to use. And our methodology was, how do we take this approach and leverage technology first and give the lawyers control so that we can actually meet the consumer's expectations where they want them by simplifying the accessibility of legal services? And that's our honed in mission. So how do we build around that specific mission to make sure that we're meeting the consumer demands where they want them by simplifying the process through a very simplified intake platform and supporting them by getting in touch with a lawyer in its most simplistic form? That was the hypotheses. That were the way that we were thinking about things as we went forward. Now, that was just the idea and the construct. When it came to actually putting that into practice, there was a lot of different things. First and foremost, I wasn't ready to jump on it right away. Um, it was a thought in my mind. I had a business plan on paper like people always do. I had built you know, an offshore MVP through Fiverr. Um, just so that I could get my ideas on paper and sink some money into it so I could see it operationally, quote unquote, working. Um, and those were sort of the first initial steps that I took to really get this over the line for me to say, okay, this is actually a business. From there, I started taking these ideas to some angel investors and strategics to determine, is there viability with this? And not every business needs to start with angel investment dollars. Um, I was lucky enough that I had... Um, some individuals that were willing to bet on this idea and I had the vision and the, you know, the experience with Clio and advocacy marketing to be, have a reason to actually be doing this. Um, and that's how we got started. And then from there, it was more around finding a technical co-founder that could help support and take the vision to reality. It's incredible. And so lawyers who are now listening to this podcast, who might be sole, sole practitioners, small firms, who are really excited about this idea, how do they get onto LawBroker? What are their kind of next steps if they want to be involved in this? So for lawyers to get onto our platform, we take a pretty simplistic approach. There is a self module that you can go through to sign up an account with LawBroker. Uh, once you go through there, we do charge a marketing subscription on a monthly basis to have access to any client data flowing through. You would simply choose the practice area that you specifically work in, whether it's one or two or three, depends on how generalist you really are. And then from there, we would activate your account based off a couple of different factors and conversations with me so that we can walk you through the platform, the modernization of law, make sure that we're all aligned there. And then from there, it's just the monthly subscription that has law for, um, consumers flowing through the platform that are really yours to activate. 
Um, there's really two use cases on LawBroker. You're either a law firm partner at a solo at a solo practitioner, and you're trying to grow your practice, um, or you know you're a young law firm associate that's trying to become a rainmaker and show face at the firm. And instead of using your BD budget to take individuals out for lunch or dinner and wine and dine them on an elongated, you know, long sales cycle that that may be, um, you leverage those dollars on LawBroker and it turns into revenue that is showcasing ROI on a month to month basis. So there's really two two worlds that we play in right now that we've seen success in. Um, and it's, it's been really exciting so far. And moving forward now, so we're at the uh, almost the initial stage, I would say, or, or a very beginning stage. What kind of visions do you have for where this is going to go to or what, what's your hope to see with LawBroker? It's a really loaded question. And as a startup founder, what I'll tell you is it's really important to stay focused and not think too, too far in advance because you never know what you know happens tomorrow is really the, uh, the advice I'll give to anyone listening on this call. But um, let's start with the basics. I think, you know, right now we're in Toronto and the surrounding areas. I think it's really important that if our mission is to simplify the accessibility of legal services, it's really important to make sure that we're spreading that mission in different geographic regions and expanding our platform into different areas to give access to consumers, you know, in different areas, along with different law firms trying to grow their practice in different areas uh, is first and foremost, really important and something that's super top of mind for us. The second area of growth that I think is really important is um, factoring in education. Uh, if we think about the world of legal, the legal world that all of you are, are you know, embedded into, what's super apparent to you um, and very much so me as well is the lack of education when it comes to expressing your legal services. And part of the reason for that comes back to the storyline around legal is just not a commoditized service. And it is very hard for a consumer to understand something that they've never actively done in the past. Something that I think I'm super passionate about, not that I think I'm super passionate about, I am super passionate about that I'd love to solve in some capacity or another at LawBroker is how do we continue to become educators in the market to support the consumers flowing through the platform for a couple of different reasons. One, so that we can drive higher quality opportunities to law firms on our platform because we're level setting expectations up front. But two, how do we position these consumers in an area that they actually understand the nuances of law without necessarily jumping on 15, 20, 30 minute consult calls with people like yourself um, in areas that, you know, they're just really, there's no baseline metrics for because they've never done it before. And I think that's something that, you know, will evolve over time. I don't think it will ever be truly solved, um, but it's something that I'd like to at least, you know, hone in on as we continue building out our platform. It's an incredible story, an incredible journey that you've gone through so far. And I'm sure you should, I'm sure you know, and you should be very proud of what you've built out there already to this stage. And so one of our last questions really is going to be, at the end of this year, when you look back at all the growth and all the development you've gone through and you sit down with your team and you talk it out, how do you define success? How do you say this was a successful year? What does that mean to you and what does that mean to LawBroker? Such a good question. Um, 
and I can tell everyone on this call I was not prepared. Uh, I did not have questions beforehand, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wing this one. But I, I think it stays true to everything that we pitch at Law Broker every single day. Um, for me, there's not a ton of opportunities for you to start a company from vision to production scale and bring people on in a successful metric, and let alone have sales. When I think about the small knit team that we've created, we have about four employees full time and then three or four you know, co-ops and interns along the way on a various amount of teams. What I think is so important to remember is a few things and I hone in on it every single day. Number one is have fun while you're building this business. Um, you will never get the chance to do this again. You might work at another startup, but you're never gonna be employee number one, employee number two, employee number three. And if you are, it might have already been a product that's built before. It's very unlikely that you take a product from vision to production and actually get people onto the platform. The other thing that I think is super important and, and very much what I hone in on every single day, I think I, I start every one of our calls with this is, and everyone on this call should be thrilled and think about this every day at the work that they do, or everyone listening to this podcast, excuse me, but legal governs our society. And I think a lot of people don't remember that every single day in the work that they do. And the reason I'm so passionate about legal, and obviously I was exposed to it very late. Now I was in professional services prior to in accounting, but I never been in a legal sort of verse before. And what makes me so passionate about what we're building or what we're solving for is legal governs our society. Every action an individual takes has some legal ramification, whether good or bad. Lawbroker sits at the juncture of that impact at the very first juncture to solving and giving access to legal representation. That's one of the most important and impactful aspects of our society. And that's what we're building at Lawbroker. And I think as we look back on things every single year or every single day, how did we impact society in every single piece that we've done? is so important and so apparent in the work that we do. And it's really important from a team perspective to always remember that as you build and scale towards it, because no one on this team are the frontline individuals or the legal team members um, of what, the, what we're solving for. We're actually just building tools to help you as lawyers solve those very apparent and massive issues. So. Um, I, that's what I look back on and that's what makes me passionate about what we're solving for every single day. And quite frankly, will always be a, a yearly look back. That's awesome. And you can see the passion for the listeners. I can see the passion coming through when Daniel talks about the success and the future of law broker. And so I'll throw out one last question before we end on the podcast. Students, whether they're law students or undergrad students who are interested in entrepreneurship, they're interested in building a business, they're interested in, in taking a risk, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? Yeah, I don't know if this is cliche or if this is said on every podcast from an entrepreneur perspective. Um, you have to dive in. I mean, you could have you know, as many coffee chats and try and pick people's brains about when it's right, when's the wrong time, when's the right time, how much money should I raise, so on and so forth. There is no book. Uh, there is no written book on how do you start a company. There are books on how can you be successful and you can sort of gear your world around that. Um, but I think everyone breeds their own success. 
and no one has started the company that you want to start. And if you don't jump into that, then that company will never get going. So I think I, I would never tell someone if they're super passionate about something not to dive right in and take the risk to do it. Um, because if you really do care about it, you're passionate and there's a reason why you should actually be doing it, then that's really important. I think the times that maybe you should hold off and it's advice that I, I've gotten from a very long time because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I've got a million and five different ideas is always think about the reason as to why you would be a good founder for this company. What makes you the reason that this company thrives versus why can't Joey do this? Um, and if you can figure out a reason why you will be successful in this and why you're the very person that should start this company, that is what ultimately can breed success. Um, now success takes time, um, but that will breed, you know, opportunities for storytelling, to be able to raise capital, to be able to sell yourself and the business when it comes down to getting people onto the platform. Um, and it's very important that you sell that with conviction and you can't do that if there's not a rhyme or reason as to why you are the founder and entrepreneur. So that's the advice that I'll give. Daniel, lastly, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, for sharing your story, for sharing some advice, for giving us a great lecture on what passion truly sounds like. And I wish you all the best law broker. I know there's big things in stores and Hopefully everyone follow them on Instagram, like them on LinkedIn, uh, give this podcast a listen. And really again, Daniel, thank you so much. Thanks, Joey. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.